Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. How did that and the Olympics come together? Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by the lovely Allison Brown. Hello, Allison. How are you? Hola. Como estas? <laughs> yeah, hola. We are talking about Mexico 1968 today, but it's so exciting. Not just Mexico 1968 is exciting, but it's exciting because we are in the same room. Which is not too often. frequent. No, yes, no, we don't get to do nice. this too often. So we are at the Podcast Movement Conference this week, and we have been learning so much stuff. Yes, and if we have new listeners from the conference, welcome. We were yes. so excited to meet all of you, and we're so right. happy to have you listen. And exactly, because we did meet our people. We met some people who we were met our some, people. I know, and we're very excited to hear your podcasts as well. Exactly. So... They, and thank you to the existing listeners because your donations that we had during the Pyeongchang 2018 conference, some of them we had a little bit extra from uh, covering some uh, annual costs, and that helped send us here. Yes. So we are very excited. We have learned. I like. I have learned stuff that saves me so much time in editing that now we can think of more cool stuff to do with you. Yes, yeah, so, so. and they gave us lots of good ideas to make our content. Yes, uh, better as well. So we're going to share. Yeah, so we're excited. So be on the lookout for changes. Not like like massive changes coming your way, but no. like enhancements coming yeah, your way. Yeah, sort of like apple pie. Now we're going to have apple crumb with whipped cream. Ooh. <laughs> hey, I think in terms of food, man, we all know this. It, it's the 50th anniversary of Mexico 1968 this year. And if you haven't started hearing about it already, you'll start hearing it more. The 68 games took place in October. So we'll be coming up on that anniversary in a couple of months, but it's a very important anniversary. The 1968 games were a really important games in the Olympic history for many reasons, including the Tommy Smith and John Carlos Black Power Salute, the introduction of the Fosbury flop and high jump, which totally revolutionized the sport. And then Bob Beeman's incredible long jump world record that held for decades yes. because of the altitude. And it's also a very important Olympics in terms of design and venues. 
And it just so happens that the Mexican Cultural Institute in Washington, D.C. has been having an exhibition on the art and architecture of the Mexico City 1968 games called Constructing Mexico. The exhibit runs through August 15th. Our contributor, Ben Jackson, was in D.C. this week, and he walked through the exhibit with Gustavo Morales Sirion, Deputy Director of the Mexican Cultural Institute of the Embassy of Mexico. So take a listen to their talk. Because 68 was such an iconic year in many ways, like it implied a lot of different changes. Uh, there was the, a lot of the student movements that were very popular and, and famous in many different countries, including Mexico. Mexico had also a big student movement in 68. But also they wanted to find a link with the architecture. So we decided that nothing was better than the Olympic Games in Mexico to highlight how 68 was so emblematic for us. These Olympic Games were the first Olympic Games happening in a Spanish-speaking country, in a Latin American country, and in a developing country in the world. So it, this was the first time that happened in, in this, you know, considering these circumstances. And Mexico didn't have as, as, as much time as other places to prepare for the uh, Olympic Games. It was just, I think it was 27 weeks, maybe a little bit more. But um, so they had to work very hard on the preparations for the games. Anyway, so in this brief period of time, Mexico has to build new infrastructure, but also has to renovate a lot of the infrastructure that already exists. And um, it was very interesting what came out from this, because a lot of the uh, things that they built today is still working and operating. So uh, it, it was an Olympia that somehow contributed a lot with the urban landscape of Mexico because then what used to be some uh, competition room or some stadium today still be a stadium or it's a different place. Like for example, the Olympic Villa became residential after the Olympics. So now people live in the Olympic Villa in a permanent basis. Or for example, the uh, Palacio de los Deportes or Palace of Sports, the way it would be translated. It was for for competitions during the Olympics and then now it's a big hall for concerts and different uh, presentations of artists and, uh, and entertainment events. Uh, and a lot of places happen to be designed or conceived in a way that they could be you know like used for later. Okay. So, um, so that's what we have in this show. You will see here some of the uh, images of different areas like for example the uh, the Olympic Stadium of the University City or the University Town, this was the way it used to be before the Olympics. And then instead of building a new stadium, what they decided to do was to create a better stadium already using what they had, already using the old stadium. So they have to replace all the, the, illuminate, the uh, lightning all the, uh, the different entrance and accesses to the, uh, to the stadium, but also they decided to embellish it with different art pieces, public art. And um, these games, something that is very important in these games that might not seem to be a big deal, but it was at the time, is that these were the first Olympic games that were shown in color television. Okay. And so that brought a big challenge for the organizers because for the first time, people won't just see, you know, like an image black and white. It would be more like about every detail, because every detail came out with the, with the colors. So 
they work very hard in the design of the outline and the graphic design of the Olympics. That's why you see in certain of the images, for example, of the stadium, how the, the, the floor surrounding the stadium follows the pattern of, of the uh, Olympic logo. This Olympic logo and the graphic design of the Olympics was based on, the, um, on an indigenous um, group called the Huicholes. And the Huicholes use a lot of different colors and then they combine the colors in different patterns in textiles especially. So, um, so that's how they, that, they decided to you know, like use the, the Huichol art to incorporate it in the, in the Olympics. And um, also during this Olympics, different things happened that were very um, interesting. For example, this was the first time that a woman will uh, light a cauldron in, in you know, the, the Olympic cauldron. But also because of the big heritage that Mexico has in terms of ancient civilizations, the Olympics were decorated and a lot of um, uh, emblematic signs and design objects, etc., from the Colombian pre-Columbian uh, culture, were part of the of the Olympics, as we can see here in the cauldron. But then also decorations that kind of you know like relates to the pre-Columbian times. Now, with this Olympics, one of the things that you mentioned with the with the stadium, like they they rebuilt that stadium, they they modernized it for yeah. the games. As we were doing a little bit of research, one of the appeals of Mexican, of the Mexican bid was that it had a lot of pre-existing venues. Is that right? So that there was a lot that they already had that was. Yeah. Some of them were there already. Okay. And they were just you know like modified, but some of them have to be built from from scratch. Like yeah. they just were in the, like totally built like when I go. Canal, and this canal was used for the competitions of, you know, the raw and other similar competitions. But the, the thing is that when they build this, you can see in the images here at the exhibit that you can tell how the southern part of Mexico City was very rural and very, you know, like natural. But then today, like when you go to these areas, it's totally urban. And what happened is that the competition itself started to create this, um, you know, um, occupation of a lot of the areas in the south part of the city. And uh, today they are as populated as central and northern Mexico City. So, um, so it's very dramatic, the, uh, the, the, the landscapes, and I love them, like the landscapes that you see here where, you know, like certain new infrastructures that happen to be built for the Olympics. Like you can tell, like you can see here, like volcanoes, mountains, stuff like that that you hardly see today. Yeah. Yeah. Is the is that canal still there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do they use it for rowing and? They still use a lot of infrastructure for our competitions, especially for Pan American Games or for training uh, for athletes at athletes training for uh, different um, competitions. Right now are the Pan American Games, but yeah, they they still in use. This is the Palacio de los Deportes that I was talking to you about, and this was used as a, as a competition as a space during the Olympics. But today it is used as the concert hall for big big concerts with a lot of people. And all the pictures they talk about you know like all this infrastructure, like how they have to optimize the space, trying to in just one piece of land, trying to make as 
much room possible for different stadiums, different competition rooms. And I think it was a very challenging time for Mexico, also because um, it was the first time that they were organizing something like this, and that the, um, the World Cup came after in 72. So it was really like the first time that a, a big sports competition was coming to the country. So, um, so it, was, it, was, it was challenging. Also another thing that was challenging during the uh, Olympics in Mexico was that they had for the first time an international press room. Okay. And that allowed for, in a way, have more of a coordinator, coordinated um, uh, sp space, but also, you know, the messages like how they will share all what was going on during the competitions with, you know, not, not only in Mexico, but abroad. And, uh, but still they had to dedicate a specific area just for journalists so that they could work there and prepare their um, their communications and and you know being, being able to accommodate these people during the competitions and uh, in the exhibit we have two different screens one showing a series of images related to the inauguration and also during the uh, also to, to the of the competitions and different things related to the uh, to the Olympics is more than 200 images that not only show how the um, the uh, stadiums and the uh, competition areas were created, but also the interaction of the people and how people participated and were so excited about it. We have also in the uh, exhibit um, timeline that kind of describes in a very briefly way in a very brief way uh, the different areas that were dedicated to the Olympics and you know, the expansion in terms of the construction of all these different facilities. And then we have two components that are part of the cultural agenda of the Olympics. One of them is the uh, Route of Friendship. The Route of Friendship it is a collection of sculptures of big format that were created for specifically for the Olympics. If I think they are... There are 19 sculptures, and they're still there. They're still in, 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 in Mexico City. You can visit them now. So the idea was to create this circuit around the different areas where the competitions were taking place. They launched a call for artists from the different countries participating at the Olympics. So what they, what they did is they would approach embassies or delegations or the Olympic office of the different countries and ask them if they want to send uh, any artists that would represent them so that they could design and sculpture and then the sculpture will be placed somewhere around the areas where the competitions were taking place. So if you were to go there today, you could follow along and see oh, all yeah. these sculptures. Yeah. It's like a yeah. path where And it's it extremely was. exciting because I remember when I was little, I. I mean, the, uh, the Olympics were in 68, I wasn't born there then. And, but then I remember when I was a child, I, I always went, I'm, I'm more from the north of the city, but when we went to the south, I would always see these sculptures, but they were like, kind of, um, you know, like just left there, like kind of, you know, forgotten. 
And, uh, but today, because of this interest of the uh, Patronato uh, Ruta de la Amistad, that it's the uh, Road of Friendship organization or association, that it's working in collaboration with different embassies and companies and uh, organizations to recreate this you know, spirit of the Olympics and bring it back to, uh, through, the, uh, through these sculptures. They have relocated certain sculptures in better areas where people can appreciate them more without getting out of the uh, circuit that used to be you know, the area where, where they were located. But they have been renovated and preserved in a very nice way. They also have been developing different programs, not only the uh, recuperation and conservation programs in the end sculptures, but programs that go along with, with the, uh, with the uh, architectural part of it. So for example, in the area of the uh, Pedregal de San Angel, that it's in the south of Mexico, they have a very specific type of soil in that area. It's a volcanic kind of soil. And it's uh, the, the stone there, but also uh, a lot of the uh, different plants that belong to that area are specimens from many, many years ago. This is more like, you know, like kind of prehistoric in a way. So, uh, so they're trying to develop some kind of environmental programs aside with the, uh, you know, with the architectural program of recuperating the, uh, the, uh, the structures and renew them and, reno and renovating. And also they have all these different, you know, like sporting activities and uh, sometimes they organize also events, especially at the, um, the big hub of the, uh, of the Route of Friendship is the Uruguayan uh, Pavilion because it has, it's the only one that has an indoors a space where people can, you know, interact, come in and check it out. So, uh, so sometimes they have performances there and different stuff. So the Route of Friendship is a, is a very, is the best way today to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Olympics. We still have certain infrastructure that it's, it's working and it's, you know, used for, for, as I mentioned, for training and for competitions. But the Route of Friendship is, is, is like the, the presentation card or yeah. the touring card for, you know, for the celebrations. And also another thing that is very interesting is these Judas Deportivos that you see here. These are kind of papier-mâché pieces, art pieces, big format, huge. And they were created during the Olympics so that people will get some orientation about which space was dedicated to which discipline during okay. the Olympics. So that's why in this image here, what we see is this uh, papier-mâché figure of a woman wearing a swimming suit performing the swimming and that way people will know that that is the, uh, the Olympic pool. So yeah, so that was another component of the cultural activity. These Olympic Games have been so far the Olympic Games that, that offered the most diverse and wide variety of cultural activities during Olympic Games for athletes but also for the people visiting and for the people hosting. So, uh, so Mexico was very interested in promoting its culture too through the Olympic Games. And this last room has different sections. This first section highlights the uh, extraordinary work of uh, Todd uh, Williams. Todd Williams was an American artist who was invited to participate in the, uh, in the Olympics with one of the sculptures for the Round of Friendship. So um, this is his sculpture, it's a sculpture I think seven meters wide and it's located at the Olympic Villa 
and we invited Todd Williams to come for the opening of the show. Okay. So he could come. He was one of the youngest artists participating in the project, and he he was describing what was the feeling of being participating in 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 this event and how welcoming was for him the uh, arts and culture in mostly what it's considered like a sportive forum yeah so so he was very happy about sharing his experience we are showing us some of the documents uh, that include you know like the uh, invitation and and all the different exchanges that the olympic uh, committee of the uh, of the Mexican Olympic Committee had with uh, Mr. Williams, and then also there is an interactive uh, part of the uh, show. This is a, a Google uh, Google glasses that you can wear. You you download an app where you can download the route of friendship, so that you can insert your phone inside the Google glasses, and then you wear the glasses, and then you can walk in the middle of different uh, sculptures. So in a way it's trying to make people feel the experience, inviting them to go to Mexico City and do their own tour of the sculptures. What I think it's, it's very interesting and we can try it once we finish with the interview if you want. This area here are more like images that describe or show what are the type of sculptures that were part of the Route of Friendship. This is Austria and US. Uh, it's a very high sculpture. This is the Australian one that was relocated. This is uh, the uh, area I was telling you of the Pedregal where the soil is it's, it's a volcanic soil. And, and they just try to um, incorporate the uh, sculpture and the, uh, you know, the nature around. This is the, uh, the uh, I think it's the Polish one. And uh, this is the Hungarian. And all of them are very nearby. Like it's it's a route that you can do. Walking will be will take a while, but it, by car it's very easy to do. And yeah, they are different. They are like 19 or something like that. There were a lot of stations uh, that come from Mexico, but there were countries participating. There were artists participating from from Spain, from Austria, from Hungary, from Japan, from France, from Israel, from Morocco, etc. So the idea was to integrate or include masterpieces from artists from all over the world to show the big cultural diversity of the, uh, of the, of the games. And we have here a list of the um, firsts that happened during the Olympics in Mexico 68, but also other occurrences that we think were important to highlight. So um, as I mentioned, well, it was the first Latin American Olympics, the first Olympics in a developing Spanish-speaking nation, first live TV transmission of the Olympic Games in color, the first woman to light the Olympic cauldron was Enriqueta Basilio, uh, the first unification since the war. This is the first time the two Germanys will come together in the parade, in the initial parade, okay. in the uh, Ode of Joy and hanging the, uh, the um, Olympic flag. It was also the first uh, host city to develop its own Olympic logo for the Games because before you would just see the, the, the name of the uh, city and then the year. But here, and, and we will see it at the entrance, you, you can see all the outline they, they use for that, all the graphic um, art they use for that. Um, it was the first time that they used an anti-doping program and the first international press center, as I explained already. Something that we wanted to uh, take the opportunity with this exhibit here at the, uh, Me uh, the Mexican Cultural Institute because being part of the cultural embassy 
our mandate is to reinforce the artistic dialogue between the U.S. and Mexico, but also to show, um, you know, the contributions that Mexico has been doing through history, not only to our country, but to all the uh, to the U.S. specifically, and then to the world. And I think that the Olympics were very, very important. I think it changed. It it bring a very cosmopolitan impact in the uh, in the society but also it allowed for uh, a lot of people to see into a, into a country that maybe was not as well known in the 60s and uh, also it positioned Mexico in a very interesting uh, leadership position to, uh, towards other countries of Latin America and also it served as a, as a, as a way to promote peace integration inclusion and you can you can tell by you know like for example there was Mexico support several African countries that participated in the in the Olympics, excluding uh, South Africa and Rhodesia because of the apartheid. So Mexico wanted that everyone felt like there was no problems with racism. So South Africa and Rhodesia didn't participate because it was considered you know like a discriminatory regime. Then also Tommy Smith and John Carlos raised the Black Power Salute on the podium of the 200 meter award ceremony when they participated in the Olympics. And it showed again the, uh, how open Mexico was to you know, different expression of freedom and liberty and equity. There was an, Olymp- an official film of the Games directed by Alberto Isaac that was nominated for an Oscar. So there were many different things I think that happened for this Olympics, and uh, and I think the uh, the contribution was very very interesting. So tell me about Space Girl Dance. What was that? Oh yeah, she's uh, Raquel Welsh. She's a uh, Bolivian. Uh, she's from ori- uh, Bolivian origins, and it's just a performance. Okay. You know, of those years. That's yeah. why it's kind of not. It's a blur, but it's it's from those years. And it was more like, you know, like showing this, this thing of futuristic kind of image that this sculptures project in those days, of course. Right, right. And this is a very well done video that somehow gives you a, a, a good tour of the different sculptures of the Rod of Friendship. So it's an animated video preparing in Mexico through a competition as well. This is the Uruguayan pavilion that has the interior that I was mentioning okay. where people can go and... And, and attend when they have some performances. But this really shows all the different the sculptures and artists involved in the project. So the venues then that were all built, you know, one of the things that people always talk about is, oh, you know, the Olympics, they cost a lot. They're kind of, a, they can be kind of a drag on the country, that kind of thing. People don't use them afterwards. But, but for Mexico City, it seems like everything that was built and everything that was done sort of still carries on even 50 years yeah. later. Yeah, yeah. I think in a way um, it contributes a lot with the infrastructure of the, of the city. Yeah, every Olympic Games are expensive. Like, I don't think there's a way not to invest, but I also think that it, it impacts the economy in a positive way because of the uh, projection of the country or the city has when, you know, when they host Olympic Games or World Cup competitions. I think for Mexico it was also important in the sense that it allowed, as I mentioned before, to kind of internationalize the image of, of the country. 
Yeah, I, I think it was, and it also helps to make the athletes of the hosting country be more competitive and, and have more resources, you know. So, so I think, yeah, maybe if we just think on all the expenses that the Olympics bring, yeah, it's true there are a lot of expenses, but there are other benefits that maybe not always you can, you know, measure in terms of financial uh, measurements. Yeah, yeah. So what happened, so here are some more of the, is it Hudas? Yeah. Who does? So uh, what happened this, to them? This comes from a tradition, an old tradition in Mexico. This is a tradition that happened before in little towns, in, especially in, in rural areas of Mexico, where during the uh, Easter, they will have this piñata or this papier-mâché figure that they will burn. And Judas, it's uh, Judah, you know, the, the one from the Bible yeah. that was a big traitor of Jesus and, you know, so they will burn uh, okay. because of what he did to Jesus and all that. So this, this came from that. Practically what they did is like, why not to use that tradition and create these huge figures of, uh, made of uh, papier-mâché so that they can be symbols of which competition is taking place in specific buildings. So okay. they had all this. This is the only one that they have preserved. Okay. The other ones don't, don't exist anymore. And I hope that very soon they can, you know, show this. Um, they have been doing other events commemorating the 50th anniversary, and they told me that maybe they will do something related to the to the Judas that's still around. And that's the hockey one. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hockey on grass. Okay. So it's you know, I I don't know why that one survived and the others don't. Did it, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. It's funny because as I was walking through the exhibit and I saw that, you know, I thought of Judas. The, right, the, the one who did betray Christ, and, uh -huh. and I thought, no, that can't be right. It's got to be a translation yeah. of something else, right? Oh, yeah, so yeah, that's what it is. So this is the uh, the Mexican Judas, the traditional ceremonies that they do during the Holy Week, and but this is the way they look, and they took this as the idea to as an idea to yeah, yeah. Wow, very neat, very neat. Anything else you can think of that people should know or...? So one of the images that you can see in the show is Red Sun, that it's one of the sculptures of the Route of Friendship and it's by Alexander Calder. And this is the uh, largest outdoor sculpture that Calder has wrote. And uh, it's, it's there, it has been, you know, like clean and it's beautiful. And it's just right there where the uh, Estadio Azteca, that is one of our main stadiums in Mexico, is. And you can even see it like from the uh, metro and everything. Oh, okay. So it's, it's very, it's very nice. Yeah. So that shows how um, how important was this this project because we had people the size of color uh, presenting yeah pro uh, uh, proposals for for the for the uh, for the route. Very cool, and it's. It's amazing that all of this is still kind of there, right? Oh, yeah, and, you know, yeah. so much of it disappears yeah. so quickly sometimes. Yeah, that's it, it's it's um, it's very challenging with public art, because the problem is that I think at the beginning it creates like all these you know like people wonders about it and people is fascinated about it, but unfortunately if you don't allow public art to get you know certain interaction and refresh. The, uh, the purpose of that piece, then it starts to become a forgotten thing, 
and people take it for granted. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so it's it's challenging, but um, but I think yeah, it's it's interesting to see that putting together different cultural and sportive and environmental pres- preservation activities with the uh, with the project has been helping a lot to revalue the, the, the concept and the idea of the route of friendship. Thank you so much, Gustavo and Ben. If you happen to be in Washington, D.C., you can check out the exhibit in person through August 15th. The Mexican Cultural Institute is located at 2829 16th Street Northwest, and it's open Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Ben said you might have to ring a buzzer to get in. So if the door doesn't open right away, look for a buzzer. Ben also told us off the air that the exhibit is not very large, so this is one of those kind of things. If you happen to be in the area, you may want to check it out. But he also said that the Cultural Institute is a really cool place. They have a, a, several exhibits going on at any given time. So if you happen to be traveling in Washington, D.C., you may want to check it out. We'll have pictures and links to the exhibit and the museum in the show notes, so don't worry about that. We'll, we'll get you covered there. So one thing in the tape that Gustavo mentioned, he talked about the Root of Friendship, or La Ruta de la Amistad, and this is one of the largest sculptural trails in the world. And it's really cool. It's something I didn't know about, so I'm really excited that we got to learn about it this week. And that root of friendship was created for the cultural aspect of the 1968 games or like the cultural Olympiad that they have. Right. We've, we've touched on the cultural side, but we haven't explored it all that much. Yeah. So, so that, was, that was really fun to, to hear. And I think it's something we should definitely look into more yeah. as to what different Olympi- Olympics have done for that aspect because you don't see that on television no you don't and you think oh the the olympics is all about sports but it's not it's not just about sports it's about arts and culture and it's like being a whole person kind of thing which is cool so in mexico there's an organization called the ruta de la amasad and they are preserving and restoring the legacy from the cultural olympiad of these games and you can learn more about them at mexico68.org and we'll have that link in the show notes but the one thing that I don't know if you caught on to what he was talking about, but Gustavo was talking about these Judas statues. We were so confused yeah. until Ben was like, no, 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 these are huge. Yeah, these, were the, these are these paper mache statues that were created for the games. In Mexico, the, the art is called Carthenaria, and the artist who created these is uh, named Pedro Linares. And he made like 70, they call them large size, skeletal figures for the 1968 Olympics. And they're they're all figures of different sports. So they would be the sport outside of the arena that you were in. So there'd be like a weightlifter outside the weightlifting Right. It's like a a statue pictogram. Yeah. But it's like 20 feet tall. Yeah, like a car roof would hit the knee of one of these. In full color. Yeah. They were when we were looking at the pictures, we couldn't get over how beautiful they were. Yeah, they are amazing, and we'll we'll get a link. I, I found a blog site that's got a whole bunch of them captured in photos, and they're really amazing. There's only one left, and that well, is it's paper. Yeah, so, it's, I yeah. Mean, how I could it? I'm surprised there's any yeah, left. Yeah, true, true. When you think about like the weather, really could destroy these things. Yeah. So the one that's remaining is a field hockey. The field hockey one is one that the uh, the Ruta de la Amistad is trying to restore. So, right. and really skeletal cool. figures is 
Yeah, I mean they're they're yeah. they they're, look like full bodies. Yeah, but picto- I think yeah. pictograms is the best way to three D pictograms. Yes, they were cool. So we were very excited to hear about the exhibit and learn a lot more and see the the wacky Raquel Welch video that went along with it and. Yeah, she just, I mean... Okay, so Raquel Welch in 1968 was the sex symbol. Right. Well, this is, yeah, her thing was in, like, 1970. Oh. She was dancing, yeah, the thing was filmed afterwards, but she's dancing around the The different statuary in in the Mexico City. Okay, so in that era, she's a huge star, a huge sex symbol, and doing this bizarre space bikini Odyssey dance thing as you would do in 1970. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. But, yeah, prancing around the Olympics. She's the the Lady Gaga of her day. (laughs) But that is trippy. We'll have that in the show notes, too, if you haven't seen it on Twitter yet. you you got to check it out. That's pretty fun. And it's right up our alley of just how did that and the Olympics come together? I know. A lot of things happened then. (laughs) Oh, man. That cannot be explained easily. (sighs) No, they can't. What else do you have, Allison? We have a bunch of stuff to say. I I do. I have a couple of notes that I want to mention. So on the good side, Team Olympic Fever's favorite bobsledder, Lauren Gibbs, will be speaking at the TEDx Pasadena. Really? Yes. What's she talking about? She's talking about her transition. Really? From corporate to an Olympic athlete. So that's going to be on September 22nd. So if you check out the TEDx Pasadena website, you can find out how to go see that. So if you're in that area. And we will have to track that. So if it comes online... We will we share will. that, and yes. she's a, and the story is great because yeah. we've you know when we talked to her, she told us some of it, but now this mm-hmm. is just going to be nice her story. So if you can see her live, she's yeah. wonderful. We adore Lauren. Also, Team Olympic Fever member biathlete Claire Egan had posted about a bill that came up in the U.S. Congress, and so I checked it out. It's the Rodchenkov Anti-Doping Act. It was sponsored by Democrat she- uh, Sheila Jackson Lee and Republican Dr. Michael Burgess, both from Texas, and it establishes criminal and civil penalties for doping at international competitions. So this is not going to just affect American athletes or competitions in the United States. It can be anybody as long as Americans are competing in that competition. Oh, wow. So it's... It's like it's a crime against Americans. Right. So it's not just the other athletes who are doping, anyone who helps them dope, anyone who covers it up can all be affected. Wow. Uh, It's named for Grigory Radchenkov, who is the whistleblower in the Russian doping scandal. Okay. And right now it's in the House, the U.S. uh, House of Representatives Judiciary Committee. And unfortunately, it does have a small chance of passing. Only a small chance. They're doing hearings right now. So if listeners have a representative on the House Judiciary Committee especially, definitely worth a phone call to their offices to say, please pass this bill because it really is a step toward deterring people. You know, you make it a crime to dope. It's not a drug crime. It's not fraud. It's doping in and of itself is a crime. And you can have civil penalties, and you can go to prison. Wow. And there are a lot of people on the full Judiciary Committee in the House. 
So we will post a list of the representatives who are on it. They're from all over the country. So if you're if you live in America, check out this list. See if your representative is on it and uh, get drop them a line and let them know you care about this. And I want to mention uh, representatives Gwen Moore and Steve Cohen were co-sponsors. Okay. So this was you know bipartisan. Different states were represented. So they're. They're making an effort to, right. to clean it up. And you know, it's either this weekend or last weekend. I know I tweeted about it because British Athletics Relay Team got upgraded to the bronze medal from Beijing. And <sighs> they're getting their medals at this anniversary track and field event. And just, we've heard it before. Of so too many times. Too many times, but it's not even like you get the medals. It's so much else that you miss out on because... Getting on the podium means a lot of training money, and the majority of these athletes just make no money to begin with, right. so that's a big deal. They lose out on sponsorship opportunities, speaking opportunities, more money for training, the ability to continue their careers. It's just crushing how right. doping can hurt the rest of the playing well, field. One of the, I mean, I hate to say the nice thing about this bill was you can sue now so if that situation happened, you could sue the athlete who doped to recover that money. Wow. That's part of the civil penalties. Wow. So now you can go after, it's not just a crime, it's also an, a civil infraction that you could sue for that lost revenue. And like when we talked to Megan Duhamel, your results get you different training money. Yes. And so... That can be the difference to you staying through another four-year cycle and not. Right. So yeah, it's worth it. It's worth right. it. Even if it makes a small step, even if it makes people think twice about doping and, and clean it up a little bit, it is absolutely worth it. Yeah. So thank you, Claire, for gramming that out and bringing our attention to that. Right. So we will post more information about that, put it on some socials. And uh, keep you abreast of what happens. Yeah. So on a happy note, mm -hmm. release the names of the Japanese mascots for Tokyo. We can't pronounce them. No, you can't pronounce them. I can't pronounce them. <laughs> so we've got two mascots. The Olympic mascot is Mirai Tawa, which is derived from the words, uh, the Japanese words Mirai, which means future, and Tawa, which means eternity. So that's kind of cool. Future, the, the name symbolizes a future full of eternal hope in the hearts of people all over the world. And then the Paralympic mascot is Someiti, which comes from Someyoshino, a popular cherry blossom variety. And it also sounds like so mighty in English, which is really interesting that they kind Why of pander they... to, the, to the English-speaking audience. Do they really think we're that... I mean, how much Maybe. did we love Suharang and Bondabe? I know, right? This is, you know, I've it's... seen Suharang. You are no Suharang, Tokyo <laughs> mascots. You are, are creepy alien, they anime, are. not animal things. And really, they remind me of Wenlock and Mandeville. Um, is that... Yeah, from London. From London, a little bit. They are on that side. And I don't even remember the Rio mascot's name. That's how bad that one was because yeah. it was such a conglomeration of, of animals. animals. It was the it was the mascot from the island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> are are they 
they do have a nice friendly face though so they're not in the easy category but they might be i really i don't think they're in the i really dislike i'm them. sorry book club claire i don't think they're in the easy category i really dislike the tokyo mascots Maybe they will grow on you. Maybe. 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 You know what? We did fall in love with Suharang and Bondi when we met them. Yeah, but they are so the... Because they're animals. Yeah. They aren't made of things. Yeah, good point. We haven't had a real animal mascot for a, in, a, in well, a summer games for a long time. Because yeah. Rio was made up. London, London was, was made up. up. Um, Beijing was the five characters. Yeah. That weren't animals. And were... Not memorable. Yes, too many of them. And then uh, 2004 was those things. No. Like 2004, Athens? Oh, yeah, there were, oh, those that was things. like the duck foot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, so two, So Sydney would have been the last animal yes. we had. Yeah, and they were like those realistic animals. They weren't they, good. No, because they were too realistic drawings, and, and they kind of were, and I love Sam the Eagle, but they were a little Sam the Eagle. And then ninety six, Izzy. Izzy. You got to go back to like wait. Okay, so and then Barcelona has that Kobe, which I love. Kobe. Which you love Kobe, but he's like that disembodied so you know, Pablo, Dali, yeah, yes. Dolly, Picasso, yes. not really a dog thing. Yes. So clearly, we like. We're the getting way- back to like nineteen eighty eight, which was Seoul, which was a tiger. Who knows? Korea knows how to do their mascots. They do. They know how to do their opening ceremonies. They know how to do their mascots. Let's learn. Legacy, right there. Yeah. So, yeah, I wish there was cute mascot stuff. Because now you can buy things. If you go to Tokyo, there's a mascot house and everything, so. You got me mad again. Sorry. What can make you happy? I don't know. Suharang. Let's bring Suharang back. Maybe he'll come visit with his happy eyebrows. There you go. Well... I can't sleep. It's been a long week for us. I know. I, I apologize for my menthol smoker voice. I've been talking to a lot of people. So Oh man. I gotta work on that. Exactly. So in the next couple of weeks we're gonna have Modern Pentathlon. Contributor Ben also talked with Samantha Achterberg, who is a US champion for modern pentathlete and learned all about the sport and we had some great questions from our listeners and he yes. answer. So we're Were you I'm, surprised I, I just wanna say I was so surprised at how much people knew about modern pentathlon. I know nothing. <laughs> I didn't even know what the five sports were. So to all who contributed questions, I was so impressed. I know. I know. But it was, it was nice. It yeah. Was nice. I'm so I'm, excited I'm ex- about that Yeah, interview. I'm excited it's about that too. That'll be a good show. And we also have coming up, I talked with the mayor of Montreal's Olympic Village because that was an actual position, mayor of the village. And he was a treat. He's a lovely man, elderly now, but he just was like, you know. We'll save it. Save yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I know. No I, spoilers. One, one word, Esperanto. You know, anyone under 40 is not going to have any <laughs> idea what you just said. They're going to well, say. Well, then they'll have to tune in finally. I know. Okay. We're, we're going to be educational. Yeah, exactly. For the youngins. So, and then coming up, we're doing a bunch of interviews on location. So if you have questions about rowing or if you have questions about judo, let us know. You can email us at info at olimfever.com or we're also going to put out a call on Facebook on our Facebook page, at the, which is olimfever, again, facebook.com slash olimfever. We love your questions. So shout out if you want those. Last thing. Yes. 
Next week is book club. Next week is book club. Okay. That's right. So, so finish The Boys in the Boat. Boys in the Boat. What's the author again? Daniel James Brown. We both have our copies with us. I know. I know. And I'm a, couple, I'm a few pages ahead, so she's like, don't tell me anything. Yeah. But it's really good. Really good. So you and have some time to finish. And even if you don't finish. Right. It's not like we're going to give away the ending. We all know the ending. Very it's true. right on the cover. Very true. And if you have been reading, drop us a line or we'll put it on Twitter and Facebook. Well, we want to know what you think about the book. Absolutely. So let us know. We are really excited about this. It's been a fun read, a really eye-opening story of a different time in both Olympic history and American history. So And in the sport. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, I know. So cool. So great, great choice, book club, Claire. We are excited about that. So... Until next week. Adios. Hey, I know a few words in Spanish, so I'm going to throw them out when I got them. Buenas noches. Adios. Buenas noches. And keep the flame alive. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Olymp Fever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. We'll save it. Save yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I know. I, no I spoilers. Won't.